Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. If this is your first time here today, I am not Pastor John. In fact, Pastor John chose to assign to me this text, I believe, just so that he knew I could squirm a little bit. I mean, we're talking about demons, we're talking about demon possession, all of these kinds of things. And so, uh, put it right up there with preaching, you know, out of like infectious skin diseases out of, you know, Leviticus and things like that. So, um, it is good to be with you. It is a strange feeling. It feels oddly right at home, and yet I look out and I see so many of you that I don't know very well yet. And so I'm grateful to you for welcoming our family into your fellowship, and we are, we are slowly figuring out what that looks like, and so we are grateful to you. We acknowledge, and I acknowledge that today is Father's Day, and we should probably say from the very beginning, as Jason alluded to, that some of us have been great dads some of us have not. Some of us have, have and have had great fathers, and some of us have not so much. And so let's acknowledge that. And so let me set you at ease with all of that to begin with. As you know, uh, Mayla and I have been blessed with four children, and I'm grateful that all of them, uh, uh, nearly all of them are here today. Is that we, number four, Zach, is in Cactus, so I'm counting him as here today. And as you know, Bennett, our second child, was diagnosed with autism when he was four when we were here at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. If you haven't met Bennett yet, if you'll just out of the corner of your eye watch out these windows, at some point this morning, you will see a, a six-foot-one, big, blonde-headed child galloping back and forth across the windows. That's Bennett. And Bennett brings to us a unique perspective on life. And in one particular day when we were pastoring up at Waterloo, we lived in the parsonage behind the church and it was on the county road. And so we kind of were guarding civilization from entering into Logan County. That was our job there. <laughs> and so a half a mile from our house was a convenience store that, that Bennett knew had Dr. Pepper. And across the street from that was a subway. And so on one particular day, Bennett decided that he was home by himself. He was going to go take care of himself. So he got his bucket of change and walked a half mile down the road and went and bought a Dr. Pepper and bought a sandwich at Subway. Now, the great thing about pastoring a small church in a, in a small community is that there's a lot of people that live around the church that know who you are and know who your children are. And so we had somebody call us and say, listen, I just wanted you to know I passed Bennett on the way to Subway. Not supposed to be there. So I get home, and it's my job. I'm home. I'm the parent on duty that day. And so I had to confront Bennett about this, and Bennett got really, really angry. In fact, he got so angry that he started yelling and screaming, and he said, I, that's it. This familyhood is over. I don't want to be a Copeland anymore. I'm going to run away from home. And I'd had about enough, just to be honest with you. And I said, that's fine. I'll take you up on that. And so he... So I sat down in the living room and I was trying to kind of ignore him and periodically he would show up in the doorway and he would, would come up with something that he thought would be hurtful to say and then he would disappear back into his room. And it got really, really escalated. At some point there was a wrestling match that involved and, and resulted in a, a hiney-shaped hole in the wall of the parsonage. <laughs> it may have been mine, so it was, you know. 
And so he got really, really angry, and I was trying to cool off because I was afraid at this point that I was going to be down a child, if you know what I mean, Jason. And so he was in his other room, and he came out, and I kind of ignored him, but he stood in the doorway and said, how do you spell neighborhood? So I obliged him. When your child asks you to spell something, and they've been wrestling with you, look up and make sure you see what's going on. I learned this. And so later I thought, you know, that was odd. I should go check on Bennett. So we've got a slide coming up here. This is what I walked into the room in the parsonage and saw. I don't know if you can read this, but it says, Dad is the worst man in the H-O-L-E neighborhood. (laughs) This is true. And so on Father's Day, let's recognize... that some of us really do feel like worst man in the whole neighborhood, right? Some of us maybe were raised by worst man in the whole neighborhood. And our scripture passage features worst man in the whole neighborhood, doesn't it? And it's kind of an interesting struggle that takes place in the, in the, the scripture passage, and you know it well. If we read the entire passage, you know that there's an incredible miracle that takes place. And, and so we should probably understand that, that this is, and I tried to come up with a way to depict, I'm a visual person, I mean a creative, and so seeing always helps me. So I thought, I, I'm going to Google demon-possessed person just to see what kind of images I get. Did you know that you get the guy that hosts the, the E! Network, Mario, the actor, he comes up, and Beyonce. I don't know what that means, but... So I thought, well, that's not good enough. This is a struggle really between two opposing powers, isn't it? So I came up with this image, and I don't know if this might be helpful to you. I think that's supposed to be Jesus preparing for an MMA fight. I'm not entirely certain. Okay, we should move that. That's seared into my uh, retinas now. So, uh, and, okay, seriously, yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> this really is a struggle, though. It's about which power will be dominant. Which power has the ultimate authority in our lives? And so, Jesus, as we as we encounter the scripture passage, has been very busy. In fact, he's made a decree. He's been preaching uh, in, in lands that are familiar to him. He's been preaching and teaching, and he says, I tell you what, let's go to the other side of the lake. And so he makes a, a calculated geographical move to go uh, to the other side of the lake. And we all know that, that just before, if you look at your scriptures just prior in chapter 8, they encounter a storm in the, midst, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples are concerned that Jesus doesn't care whether or not they're going to be swamped and drowned. And Jesus stands up and says, be still. And, and proves to his disciples that, that he is a force to be reckoned with, that he has authority over the abyss, over the winds and the waves. In fact, they kind of leave going, who is this that the winds and the waves obey? And so they step out of the boat and they are greeted on land by a man who is demon-possessed. You say, how do you know he's demon-possessed? Because in the scripture it says he had demons. You can laugh there, it's okay. And so I, 
bring up this first image, and maybe this is kind of what you think of when you, when you think of someone that's afflicted. And we could get into a deep uh, philosophical, historical, critical you know, discussion about were, were, these, were these demons, were they, were they entities, were, was it undiagnosed mental illness? I mean, what was it? The truth is that if we try to get bogged down and all of that, we may be missing the point of what's really going on here. I mean, we like to diagnose things. Our very good friends, Tim and Jennifer Jones, both work in the helping fields and psychology. And so one day, uh, their, their daughter came to them, and she was, trying, she was wrestling with the challenges of her older brother, Garrett, who is, is profoundly uh, disabled and has a lot of special needs developmentally and otherwise. And she was trying to understand why Garrett acted the way that he did. And she said, Mom, why does Garrett act the way that he does? And she said, well, honey, that's because Garrett has a syndrome. And without missing a beat, at about seven years of age, she looked at her mom and she says, well, what kind of syndrome does Lee have? It's a true story. <laughs> and, and we try to figure it out. We try to sort it all out. But the truth is that what we need to know is that this man was bound and held by powers that had complete authority over his life and they were destroying him. It was almost as if he was dead and just didn't know it yet. As we read through the scripture passage, it's almost an aside, a parenthetical insertion here that says, yeah, by the way, this has been happening a lot. We continue to try to bind him and he breaks free and he's driven into the desert by the demons. I mean, he is hopelessly bound. Here's another image that might be helpful to you. And, And when we hear this story of demon possession, I want you just to simply imagine that, that he is encountering powers and authorities that hold him captive. He is not free to live the life for which he was created. He's bound and he's held. Not only was he bound, but it had resulted in him being coming completely exposed and vulnerable. The word tells us that he was without clothes, that he was living no longer in a house but was just essentially homeless, living outdoors in nature. He was exposed. Look at this next slide. Maybe this will help you understand. He was completely alone. The the, the only place that he could reside where he could be welcome was amongst the dead. Historians tell us a kind of about the, the geography of the, the region where Jesus sails to. It is, it is absolutely uh, opposite of where they came. It, it, it is a home for several Gentile settlements. And on this particular part of the shore, there are places where they would build tombs in outcroppings of rock and small caves. And that's where he was living. Exposed. Alone, captive, isolated. And I, I love the, the notion that what Jesus has done is he has intentionally signaled that this good news that he is bringing is meant exactly for this kind of guy. He said, let's go to the other side. He knew where he was going. He was going into Gentile country. And so he shows up and he finds a guy who is outcast even for the Gentiles. You see, where Jesus went, this 
particular region was the place that all of the religious insiders were pretty sure that God was not. And so Jesus shows up and encounters this guy that is in pain and in captivity. I find it fascinating there in that 29th verse, this little aside that I mentioned just a moment ago, that, that it had almost, the, the townspeople had almost become accustomed to this guy being in chains. It, it's almost like it was a part of the public record to say, yeah, that's the crazy guy. That's, that's our town crazy guy. And, and listen, this happens all the time. I mean, he gets locked up and he escapes and he's driven and he's just crazy. I mean, it's a little bit like when you go to a family reunion and you meet people that you should know but you've never really met. And you go to the family reunion and somebody pulls you aside and warns you about Uncle so-and-so, right? Listen, he's a little, he's a little nuts. And, it, and it's interesting to me that the powers and, and the forces that were at work that held this man in captivity had in fact become, well, just sort of the way things were. Almost as if there was the expectation that it was business as usual, that there would be no further change. They had grown accustomed to it. They had repeatedly attempted to intervene. In fact, they had, and this is, I think, fascinating to me, they had learned to live with or to simply manage what really was just evil. And I wonder about our own lives the places where we are held captive, where there are, are powers that, that are at work in our lives that, that, that hold sway over us and that, that somehow we have come to think of them in normative kinds of ways and, and almost as if to say, this is just how things are. Folks, in our theology, we believe that we need not be stuck there. Do you believe that? Amen. That, that part of what we mean when we say we, we are a holiness people is that we believe that God intends for us not to become used to living in the caves, alone, exposed, isolated, and just simply say, well, this is just how I am. This is how things are. And as evidence, I kind of cite the fact that as I encounter people walking in faith, that really they are supplementing their journey with Scripture and they're supplementing with, with the language of faith as an attempt to essentially manage or live with the real powers and authorities that are at work in their lives. And, and, and I find that over and over again that so often what people come to me and the things that they're concerned about and the things that they're worried about and that, that really that those are secondary and they point to a much deeper, much more powerful thing that has a hold on their lives. And here's what I find interesting. When we go to the scripture and we essentially use it as some kind of spiritual cookbook to figure out how do I get through today, right? When we do spiritual self-help and we do all of these kinds of things and we do that, what we are doing without, without really wrestling with what the real issue is, we are essentially trying to control powers that we do not have authority over. It's true. The, the scripture seems clear. 
whether or not we can wrap our minds around it, that there are indeed things that shape us and hold us and bind us, and that they genuinely can hold our lives in such a way that it shapes us and can ultimately destroy us. I'm convinced that when we feel isolated and alone and broken and things that are out of control, it is, it is so often not the circumstances that we are in, but it is in fact the power of something deeper that's at work in us, that's holding us. So, wow, thanks Lee for taking us so deep. We're so encouraged right now, right? But I, I, what I love about this scripture passage is that Jesus shows up on the scene determined that all of these powers and authorities that are at work at this man that hold sway over this entire region, he shows up with the sole intent to display the fact that he, in fact, now has been given authority over all those things. It's true. And I think sometimes this, this whole thing that says, well, you know, I'm really struggling with being judgmental and critical, but I gotta be honest with you, that's just how I'm made, right? Or people that live and are bound by fear of the what could be's or the what might be's, and they just say, well, I'm just a cautious person. Uh, what if, what if God wants to show you that he has authority even over your fear? And so he shows up in the, in the land of the Gentiles and he sees a guy who is outcast amongst the outcasts. It doesn't get any farther outside the boundary lines than that. Yeah. And so Jesus shows up and he encounters this guy and it is with the purpose in mind that he be set free. No longer in chains, no longer in bondage. He has more in mind than just managing the situation. He has come for deliverance. There's a big difference there. Folks, so often it is easy for us to practice a Christian faith and a theology in which we come to think about sanctification as the management of our dysfunction. And I am convinced if some of us could ever get a hold of what it means to genuinely understand that he is Lord of everything, that we could finally experience deliverance for some of us. Now here's what I find fascinating. Jesus is clearly a threat. It's true. He's clearly a genuine threat to be reckoned with because the demon inside of this man cries out to Jesus. He says, wait a second. What do you have in mind for us? What is going on here? Bennett would say it this way. What gives? And Jesus shows up and this demon says, what do you have in mind for us? And he says, please don't torment me. And then I, I like to think of it this way. That the demons understand that that Jesus genuinely does have authority over them. No matter how much power they've wielded on behalf of this poor, broken man. In Jesus, they see someone that is genuinely a threat to destroy them. And so I think they try to make an escape. That's just how I look at it. The, the demons say, listen, 
I, see that herd of pigs over there? If we could just, if we could just go over there. The, and and you, you, we need to understand that a herd of pigs is particularly to the Jewish community hearing this gospel account would think, ew, no more unclean than that. Two years ago, my little nephew Jude went on a two-week mission trip with his parents, and they spent two weeks in Kosovo, which is a predominantly Muslim nation. And so even the believers there are still powerfully shaped by their, their customs in terms of food. And so they think of pork as a dirty meat. And so you would never, ever, 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 ever eat pork for any reason. And so my nephew Jude loves pork. He loves pork. He loves it. And so after two weeks of being there and not eating any pork on the last day of their last meal, Jude asked if he could pray for the meal. And so they said yes. And so Jude said, dear God, thank you for bacon. (laughs) And I like to think, now I don't see it in here, but in my creative mind, I like to think that just for a moment, The demons inside this man saw the Son of God in the flesh and said to themselves, thank you for bacon. Right? This is their chance to run to to maybe to a place where Jesus may not have authority over them, right? Maybe to go to a place that's so unclean that Jesus could never be. The truth is that probably wasn't enough. And so what did they do? They tried to escape into the abyss. But if you read your scripture, what happened just before Jesus showed up? We've already talked about it. Even the abyss, Jesus has authority over. Folks, what does this say to us? It says to me, as I read the scripture, that there is nothing that can bind us nor have power over us in our lives nor shape us but what God does not have the power and the authority and the desire to release us from. That's good news. You say, now Lee, that, that sounds pretty good. That sounds like a good thing. And so what is, what happens? What must take place for this deliverance to happen? Do I need to do something that, that would allow God to, to, to say, you know what, you ask nicely, I'll give this to you. The truth is, I love it. Jesus goes across the lake knowing that he's going to encounter lost people. And, and when the scripture passage, when it offers that little aside that says the man often was bound, I love what it says. It has this little statement that says Jesus had already commanded the demon to come out. Folks, God has already spoken his desires over us. Right? That, that in the cross of Christ, that he, that he gained victory over all the powers and all the authorities and all of the things that shape us and mold us. So that's his desire. And so it, it isn't that we ask in such a way to make it happen. But I think there is something that is essential. And it begins with this question that we saw there at the beginning of verse 30. And then Jesus asked him, 
What is your name? Here's what I believe. As I have encountered good, good people who are doing their very best to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And isn't that what this summer is about? Following our leader. And we're doing our best to walk in his footsteps and to follow after him. And yet so many people have powers and authorities that are at work in their life. But here's the scary thing. They are unacknowledged. You say, wait a second, I I thought you said that God has authority and power over all those things. Here's what I do believe. I believe that there are principles in the world of things, how the world works, and powers and authorities that genuinely can shape and control our lives so long as we refuse to acknowledge that they are at work in us. It's true. And the power of these these, these demons are broken the moment that they are acknowledged. And I wonder in our lives, what are the powers and principalities and fundamental principles of the world that shape you and mold you and in many cases hold you captive that you have yet to acknowledge? You say, Lee, I, I, I recall going to an altar and confessing my sins. I, I recall a time and place in which I asked God to, to take 100% in all of me. And yet I, I'm convinced that, that this journey that we call the holy life is one that God desires to help us acknowledge all that shapes us into any other identity other than his. And so often we go through our lives and we, we have this sensation that we, that we are afraid to be really still, right? How many of you have ever been on like a spiritual retreat where you were forced to do time in solitude, right? Okay, so let me tell you, the most difficult thing that you can ever do is to go sit still in a room, awake, by the way, and say nothing or do nothing and simply be alone with silence. That is hard. Because in that moment, if, if you don't believe me that there are powers and authorities that are constantly molding and shaping your life, if you sit still for one hour, they will begin to speak. It's true. And, and I believe that, that so often that that fear that we have and the anxiety and the resentment that we have about the, the rhythms of our lives really is rooted in this principle that we are being shaped each and every day by powerful powers and authorities, things like economy and fear and violence and all of these things that are a part of our lives. And because we refuse to acknowledge them, we are stuck in their cycle and held in their power and we stop short, I believe, of the complete deliverance that God has in mind. You say, I'm a little afraid of that. That frightens me a little bit. I understand that. I remember sitting in a therapist's office at a virtual breaking point. 
I'd been subpoenaed to testify uh, at a trial for a a serial uh, child abuser. And it had dredged up some stuff I didn't want to think about. And, and on top of that was all this other stuff, questions about career and future and family and all of this stuff. And I remember saying to the therapist, I don't really want to talk about this because I'm afraid if I let it out, my entire world may just fall apart. That's our fear. That if we acknowledge what we know to be there, but if we acknowledge it, if we call it by name, we have this, this fear that everything falls apart and the wheels just come off. But I am convinced that it is only when we can speak our current identity that God can give us a new one. It's true. I want to fast forward to the next slide, show you a picture of this handsome young guy. This is my late grandfather, Cecil M. Brown. And this is just prior to his shipping off on a battleship for what he thought was to be an occupation force for Japan and en route heard that Japan had surrendered and so he became part of the occupation force after the war. He was a good, good man. He was kind of like the song that we sang about today. He was a good, good father. But here's what's interesting about my grandfather Cecil. There were two things. Number one, he kept secret what the M stood for. We did not find out until the day of his funeral what his middle name was. Kept it a secret, kept it hidden. But the other thing that's interesting about my grandfather is that he, in, he encouraged his family to go to church, encouraged my grandmother, who was a saint, to be in church, to serve, and yet my grandfather never made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Never. And in time, he would accompany my grandmother to church. He would attend church. He, was, he would be a part of Sunday school. Now, he didn't go to Sunday night church because the Dallas Cowboys played on Sunday nights. But he was a good man. And I'll never forget when we heard the news that my grandfather was dying, incurable lung cancer from his years working in the service and working uh, in the construction industry. And so my grandfather found out he was dying and had a very, very short time to live. And so he and my grandmother made the, the decision to very quickly move to Oklahoma City and to kind of get their, their affairs in order so that they could prepare for his death. And something about that finality I think caused my grandfather to really engage with what were the real powers and authorities in his life. And so I'll never forget the phone call that I received. And it was my mom on the end of the line. And she said, Lee, she said, your grandfather has has professed faith in Jesus Christ. And his pastor is here at the house. And today he's going to be baptized. And so I knew the pastor, his name was Larry. And so they put us on speakerphone and I could hear kind of that echoey sound that you have when you're on speakerphone and you're in the kitchen, right? And so I remember him there and, and, and I could hear very clearly the phone must have been very, very close. And so I had my eyes closed and I was kind of trying to imagine everything that was taking place. And, and so Larry asked my grandfather, 
He said, do you profess faith in Jesus Christ and do you trust that he saves you? And I heard my grandfather in his feeble voice say, yes, I do. And so he went through the rest of the baptismal liturgy and then I could hear this sound of water being poured over him. And then he said the most powerful thing and I've never forgotten it. I can imagine him taking him, putting his hands on his head the way that that our pastors do with our children. And he said this. He said, then you are no longer Cecil, but you are Christian. And folks, I think that's what we're talking about, isn't it? You can move to the next slide here. We're talking about some of us needing to acknowledge what really holds power over our lives. Some of us, it's, it's brokenness and woundedness that so shapes us that it makes it difficult for him to be Lord of our lives. Some of us, it's, it's a negative critical spirit. Some of us, it's fear. Some of us, it's, it's worry that you, there just won't be enough. Some of it has to do with safety and security of your family or, or fears about your future or job or career or violence in the world or on and on and on. But the good news of the gospel is this, that if you can have the courage to acknowledge that those powers are at work in your life, then you can experience the power that has the strength to give you a new name. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. In just a moment, our servers are going to come and we are going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. It is our invitation to come and dine at the table of grace. And this morning, I don't know if this message was for you or not. I, I hope and trust that maybe there's at least one here today for whom this is, is just what your spirit needs. But as you come this morning, uh, there's a baptismal font here beside the, the communion table and it may be that you want to come and, and reenact that moment in which God said to you, I am Lord over all things. I am Lord over the abyss and now you bear a new name. Maybe you need to come and remember. Some of you need to come and you're stepping out and coming forward with your hands cupped will be an act of faith. Silently acknowledging to your heavenly father the name of the powers and authorities that hold you captive. But all of us need to come understanding that we moment by moment stand just the same in need of the grace and mercy of God. And so as you come this morning, you'll be coming with hands cupped to receive the grace of God, something that you cannot earn, something that you cannot figure out on your own, but something that we receive as a precious and beautiful gift. Gracious Father, we ask that you would prepare us this morning as a people that as we receive the gift of your supper, that it would become for us a, a tangible expression of our desire that you be at work in us. And our understanding that 
those things that are most broken and dysfunctional within us that we cannot resolve on our own. And so today, Lord, we simply acknowledge them to you and exchange them for your grace. Father, we pray that you would take these elements, bread and cup, and that, Lord, that today, even as they are common things, that, Lord, you would make them sacred things. And, Father, as we partake, remind us that as we come and as we acknowledge our need for you, that you have the power, that you have the authority to make us into beautiful, sacred things. So, Lord, help us as we come. We will come as broken people. We will come as people, Lord, who are isolated, exposed, and vulnerable. But, Lord, we come today to receive your grace. Stand with me this morning. You'll exit the pew to your left and come down the aisle. And as you come forward, you may wish to stop and remember your baptism. But our servers will remind you that this is the body of Christ that is broken for you and the cup of his blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Come this morning as you are.
going to continue to respond in prayer. So if you want to take whatever posture is best for you at this time, you can stand, you can kneel, you can kneel at the pew in front of you. And as always, these altars are available for you. And if you would like to see, you can see these padded altars on these far sides. If you'd like to have come down and be prayed, prayed for an anointing of oil for healing, and that can be for anything. It could be a physical, it can be mental, it can be emotional, it can be something that you would like to name now that has power over you. If you'd like to name that to a person and not to just God in prayer, if you want to name that to a person in God in prayer, that's definitely a, a very incredible and wonderful moment and opportunity for you if you want to come name God. Would you please grant me healing over this power, this principality, this demon, something in your life that has power over you. If you want to have come to these places of prayer for anointing for healing, that would be a very um, meaningful and incredible opportunity for you at this time. But let's pray as we continue to respond to the words that have been lent to us in Scripture from Pastor Lee this morning. Jesus, we do come to you and we bring all of ourselves. And as Pastor Brandon saying and as Lee led us in this morning, we lay down our burdens, we lay down our shame. Lord, in these moments of prayer, many people probably already have potentially done this as we've received bread and cup, received these elements, God, of your forgiveness and your grace. We also want to continue to give space and give moments of silence in our own silence as Brandon plays to name those things in our lives which have control over us, to name them, to acknowledge them, and then to ask that God might deliver us and give us a new name. So church, in these moments as Brandon plays, may you think and discover and have some Moments in which you are hearing from God in prayer to name something that might have control over you that you might be able to find freedom from this morning.
Some of you may have done that now, and we want to encourage you to pray this week and have the confidence and courage. We would love for you to tell somebody, a friend, a mentor, a pastor, so they can walk with you on that journey towards newness, so you can live into your new name, walk in a new light, and walk in a new freedom. Jesus, we want to pray for those who want to want to do that, but God, there's a fear within them that doesn't want to name that which has power over them. So we pray for those who want to want to do that, that God, you would give us courage in the midst of fear and move us towards Christ's likeness in the midst of those things in our life which have control over us. Lord, I ask you would move each of us and all of us into your future, into your freedom. want to continue in a few moments with some words of intercessor, some intercessory prayer and asking that God might bring healing and wholeness into situation into lives that Lord have come into our lives and come into this place as broken this morning. I want to pray for those dads who feel like the worst dad in the neighborhood. Lord, for those in this place who do feel like the worst dad, would you bring a wholeness, a forgiveness, a love and an embrace? Lord, for those who had the worst dad in the whole neighborhood, would you bring, Lord, your embrace and your love and your grace into a dark and a broken place? For those who have lost a father, Lord, we ask that you be with those in your warm embrace as they continue potentially, God, to grieve in the loss of a father they did not get to experience in ways in which they would have or wish they could have or wish they continue to have. I want to give space to celebrate fathers too and, and for fathers who are here like me to say, God, help me to be a better father in these moments. Would you, God, allow those of us to pray that prayer and God, would you grant us that prayer? Lord, in intercession, we pray out for some situations in life of our church that we find difficult. And God, we ask you to bring healing to a specific few people who need your healing touch. Ask God that you might continue to touch Mark Carr and heal his body as he continues to recover from this significant heart surgery. Lord, bring him healing and wholeness day by day and breath by breath. Lord, we ask you to be with Leon White as he recovers from heart surgery. Lord, I ask you to be with Connie Thomas as she recovers from her surgery this week. Others, God, who need a physical touch. And if you have someone in your life who needs a physical healing touch in these moments, as Brandon plays, would you pray for that person who you know needs a physical touch from God? Lord, in intercession, we want to pray for those Lord, who need help in an area of their life. I've talked to three people this week who have lost their job or are looking for employment. Lord, we pray for those who are in trouble right now with their work, that God, you would bring provision and grace in your presence and that God, you might provide. Lord, we pray for those who are hurting. We pray for those, Lord, who continue to hurt and mourn in the midst of violence done in this nation and around the world. 
And so, Lord God, we pray for peace. We pray for comfort. We pray for healing in the midst of all of the powers and principalities that continue to cause threat and chaos, harm, and violence. Lord, we're thankful for the ways in which you allow us as a church to be able to step in and provide wholeness and healing to places like Zambia and Haiti, Toronto, and Cactus, Texas. Lord, so we pray for our mid-high teens who are in Cactus and for the work they will do in this incredible place where there are people groups from around the world, sort of like the refugee capital of Texas. And so, Lord, be with Pastor Mike, be with Pastor Zach, be with all of our sponsors and our teens who are there changing the world and changing their lives as they do it. Lord, we love you. And we're grateful for the ways in which, God, you have allowed us to move into relationship with you. May we live into that relationship in one of those ways, God, may you allow us to believe and lean into this prayer, the prayer you taught your disciples to pray in church. This morning we'll pray using debts and debtors, and the prayer should be on the screen in front of you. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.